electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's what we're talking about on today's episode. President Biden pausing approvals for U.S. exports from new liquefied natural gas projects. U.S. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm explains. We are working every day at the Department of Energy to reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions. And that means making sure we manage carbon emissions and a big interview with a big star, NBA Hall of Famer, philanthropist, businessman, and now fellow podcaster, it's Dwayne Wade. My education, you know, probably is greater in in the game of basketball than anything else. And so my greatest tool and my greatest schooling right now is other people's experience. A Dwayne of all trades, what he's learning from his partners and what everyone's learning from him and from the Oscar-nominated documentary that he produced. I was following a young man named Arlo Washington, and he's about creating opportunities. He's about building community. Those conversations, but first, the Fed's most watched inflation metric. And CNBC's Jane Wells is on the ground in Maui six months after the fires. Housing here is always a problem, but right now it's a crisis. I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. It's Friday, January 26th, and Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one. Cue please. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. First up on the podcast today, some economic data. It's the Personal Consumption Expenditures Price Index, or PCE. It's the Fed's favorite inflation measure, and it's important if the central bank is planning to start cutting rates this year. The core PCE for the last month of 2023 up two-tenths of a percent for the month and up 2.9% from the year prior. Now, 2.9 ends up being the lowest level going back to... Oh, man, we're going to go back a ways here. 2.9 takes us to uh, March of 2021. So these indeed are better numbers. That was CNBC's Rick Santelli, our on-air editor and our economic data whiz in Chicago. So what does it mean? Well, it means inflation is still going up, but the pace at which it's going up is slowing down. Remember yesterday, the Commerce Department released the GDP numbers for the last month of 2023, and they were much better than economists expected. So what will the Fed do? It's hard to say. The central bank has named that magic 2% as a healthy inflation rate. And the closer we get to it, the more likely it's going to be interpreted as a green light for the Fed to start cutting interest rates. Look out for next week when the Federal Reserve has its next meeting and decides whether to keep rates steady, to hike them, or to cut them. For what it's worth, economists for the most part are expecting the Fed to hold steady. But tune in next week. And that's it. Let's get to the rest of today's stories. The Biden administration planning to temporarily pause uh, 
pending uh, decisions of the export of liquefied natural gas. New export facilities that do not yet have a permit from the Energy Department will now be put on hold during the pause. Officials will evaluate the impacts of LNG exports on energy costs, energy security, and the environment. The new move does not affect current exports or previously permitted facilities that have begun construction. The U.S. became the world's largest LNG exporter back in 2023, uh, just seven years after beginning exports. In a, decision, in a statement on the decision, I should say, President Biden saying, quote, the pause on new LNG approvals sees the climate crisis for what it is, the existential threat of our time. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm is going to be joining us with more on that decision. We're going to be able to talk to her all about uh, what it means, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of pushback from folks in the industry and the like. Meantime, on Wednesday night, Secretary Granholm met with Jamie Dimon, David Solomon, and other top Wall Street bankers in a dinner that was put together with the help of former Treasury Secretary Hank Paulson. Sources familiar with that event telling Bloomberg that Granholm urged the bankers to invest in clean power and other clean energy technologies. And of course, Hank Paulson has dedicated himself to climate and is now working with TPG on a clean energy fund. I have no words. I do have words. I just, I can't. It's Friday. Look, I mean, the, the My blood pressure thing, is already. It's not just the industry that's looking against this. The liquefied natural gas replaces coal in most of that's these That's what instances. it displaces so when we sell it. It's displacing the coal when we sell it. It's also a security threat clean. from Russia. It's a great you know, business. When Russia cut off Germany, we were able to step in and help them out to make sure that we were getting great. There, so we lo- we need reliant. exports. We love exports. It's a great export business. This is what I said in makeup. I'm not going to say it again, but um, this is the most obscene type of politicking to try and get young voters for the election. That's what it's all about because of their their total infatuation with with the climate issue. And I said it, both sides do it. The politicking is. You know, people watch it at home, you wonder why we're so cynical. The politicking is so bad. This is the worst system, economic system, in the world that we have, except, the worst? For, except for every other system. Well, but can I just say that it is possible that you could have a genuine view about it's the really climate, which, is di- which you it's, disagree it's, with. It's I know. Really not. I'm just saying there it's are. really not possible because are, even, it is even, possible. I'm not even going to talk about the, the, how ludicrous some of this has gotten, but this displaces. I understand. I mean, it's as ludicrous as what you hear from the other side with former President Trump saying that he doesn't want to see a deal done on the border. That's because Republicans want something with a lot of teeth in immigration. And if you accept a watered-down Chuck Schumer bill, it's not going to be what... There's a way... Politicking is everywhere. Check out the shares of Tesla. Stock closed down 12% yesterday after the company warned of a slowdown. Uh, in growth in 2024. Last night on Mad Money, Jim Cramer said Tesla is out of the Magnificent Seven group now of high-flying tech stocks. Well, someone who is among the first to vocalize the Magnificent Seven rubric, I officially acknowledge now that there are only six left. That's the other thing. I mean, I don't know where the real climate types think we're going to power the grid. That's what I don't understand. I mean, natural gas is probably the best way to power the grid, probably the cleanest, best way. We have to power the grid right. for all this other stuff that we're going to do. Even if, you know, solar and wind aren't ready and they're not going to be ready for a while. So, Well, it's, it's not just that. It's the transmission lines to get the energy from the solar and wind, too. from where the wind blows, from where enough. the sun shines to the rest of the network. And or that where takes the sun time. doesn't shine. <laughs> I know where that is. 
Just about six months ago, devastating wildfires ripped across the island of Maui in Hawaii. Hundreds of millions of dollars of aid flowed in. Jane Wells is tracking that money, and she joins us right now. Hi, Jane. Hi, Becky. Yeah, the fire zone remains closed off, though we will be escorted in later this morning by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, which has sent some photos. They just got in there now to start clearing debris. Nearly six months after the fire killed 100 people, destroyed thousands of homes and businesses. We wanted to follow the money. Honolulu Civil Beat has been running a tally. It reports nearly a billion dollars has been raised or allocated so far for fire victims, about half of that from the government. On the nonprofit side, Maui Strong says it's taken in $178 million as of mid-January, dispersed about half. On the corporate side, a million and a half dollars in grants and goods has come from Walmart, which opened its doors and parking lot in Maui after the fire. Now, thousands of people who lost their homes are still living in hotels, 1,000 of them at the Royal Lahaina Resort, including 100 of its own employees. The hotel could make a lot more money from tourists, but it plans to stick with FEMA and the Red Cross and house locals for the foreseeable future. And some of them have left Hawaii now. The government is offering top dollar for short-term rental owners in this area to convert to long-term leases. Enough of them have not stepped up yet, and if they don't by March 1st, the governor is threatening to ban Airbnbs. Becky, housing here is always a problem, but right now it's a crisis. Jane, there was a lot of talk at the time about money that was promised by celebrities, too. Has, has that come through? Yeah, we've been uh, trying to track that. Take a look. Guy Fieri raised over $2.5 million. I reached out to find out where it's gone, have not heard back. The People's Fund of Maui with Oprah and The Rock they tell me that through January, they've paid out $50 million in $1,200 a month stipends to over 8,000 people. Finally, yesterday afternoon, I talked to some people who said, yes, we've gotten that money. We love Oprah. We've had it since September. And then Jeff Bezos and Lauren Sanchez promised $100 million. Their spokesman tells me they've so far spent $15.5 million. They said it's gone to the Maui Food Bank, the Humane Society. And I have confirmed with those organizations they've received money. Jane, this is... I mean, it seems like such a long time, but how does this match up to other natural disasters that we've seen in terms of recovery? You know, I, I've covered a lot of disasters, and recovery on the mainland is much faster than here. This is a small area. Every square foot is sacred and cultural. There are competing interests, and nothing gets done quickly. Um, it's going to take years and a lot of money, and the, the concern is that Many people who grew up here will leave here, and that's part of the magic of Hawaii. It's not just a beautiful place, it's the people and the culture. It is heartbreaking, the scenes that we've seen. Um, Jane, thank you for bringing this attention to it on how they continue to rebuild, and we hope you can keep giving us these updates. Jane Wells. Keys will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, more on the Biden administration's decision to pause LNG export projects, or new ones anyway, plus the state of electrification in the U.S. with Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm. Nothing will change in terms of what is currently being exported or what is currently under construction. This is just a pause so that we can have an assessment that is rationally based and then apply that assessment to those projects that are in the queue. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS! 
Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's Andrew. The Biden administration temporarily pausing and now pending decisions on the export of liquefied natural gas. New export facilities that do not yet have a permit from the Energy Department will now be on hold during the pause. Officials will evaluate the impacts of LNG exports on energy costs, energy security, and the environment. This new move uh, does not affect current exports or previously permitted facilities that have begun construction. Joining us right now is Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm. Uh, good morning to you. Uh, we've been talking about this all morning um, and, and trying to understand the, the rationale behind it. Um, a lot of folks looking at this and saying uh, that, you know, exports, uh, exporting LNG has been a great thing for the United States. Yeah, I mean, we are the world's largest exporter now of LNG, but we have a responsibility at the Department of Energy to ensure that all the authorizations are in the public interest according to the Natural Gas Act. And in order to fulfill that responsibility, for uh, since uh, this, since the sort of boom, uh, shale boom, and the exports of LNG have begun, we have undertaken a periodic assessment of what the lay of the land is. The last assessment though was done in 2018. And we, at that time, we were only exporting 4 billion cubic feet of natural gas, which is uh, a fraction of what we're doing now. Uh, now we're, today, we're uh, exporting 14 billion cubic feet. We have another 12 billion cubic feet that are under construction and a total of 48 billion cubic feet that have been authorized. So none of that is going to be affected. All the stuff that's under construction that's been authorized, none of that is going away. Certainly the stuff that's being uh, currently exported, there, there's, no, there's no impact. But it is, uh, we have a responsibility given how much we have authorized and given the, the lay of the land across the globe, the climate impacts, as well as the question about what, what's the cost going to be at home. If we're exporting half, of what we produce, what is the price impact for those I mean, well, who use? Well, let's talk yeah. about that. Is, is, is so? I think there's a question, Mark. Is the I mean, is this about the climate? Is this some people would say is it about politics? Is this about price? Meaning, do you actually think that by doing this, you're going to lower the price back here in the United States? What's well, the do you, yeah. see, you, see, you see the various issues here at play? And there are various issues. And there are uh, several factors that we have taken into account on these assessments. And we just need to update the, the data associated right. with the factors. So the factors are, does this impact, what is the impact on national security? What is the impact on foreign policy? What is the impact, in other words, our allies and whether they're able to access the energy that they need? What is the impact on the price at home? What is the impact on the climate? And so 
What we and, need but to, that can't be done without stopping, but without pausing. I mean, I think that's that's the other question because some people well, look at LNG specifically and they say, "Look, this is a cleaner form of energy." Um, in fact, when it's exported, oftentimes it is uh, replacing energy that might be produced by coal, which is a lot dirtier. Yeah, it's a good question, and that's one of the things we have to evaluate. This is a temporary pause for the purpose of doing an assessment, which will be done in leadership by our national labs. This is not an indefinite pause. It will last some months. There will be a comment right. period, et cetera. So this will, it last, will it last, Secretary, will it last till November 5th? <laughs> That's what people are saying, uh, Madam Secretary. You know that, that the young voters are, are the climate is front and center. And, and the cynics of this, on the other side, would say this is pure politicking, that uh, uh, President Biden needs young voters. And, this, and you can see the comments from the climate lobby. This is like, you know, they're celebrating and, and you know, toasting the Biden administration for this pause. And, and it looks no, you don't need, really, if you're cynical, you don't need to look beyond that. It's just I, politicking. I understand the cynics are going to say what the cynics are going to say, but we are following the law. And under the Natural Gas Act, the Department of Energy is required to assess what is in the public interest. Right. We need to update our assessments. Uh, that's Secretary, I don't, I don't, dis I don't, I don't um, disagree with the idea of trying to reassess, you know, every couple of years where things are. I think there's a question mark really more about the can, can you walk and chew gum at the same time idea, which is to say, you know, what, what prevents the department from doing that assessment without, without a pause while the assessment is going on? Well, there are 13 projects in the queue between the Department of Energy and, uh, and FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. Those projects um, account for another 12 billion cubic feet. We need to, assess, as we assess, we want to make sure that we are applying the same sort of standard to those that are in the queue, to those that will be coming up into the future. But as I say, the pause would make no difference whatsoever because none of the projects would be, um, would be exporting natural gas. None of the projects that are in the queue would be exporting natural gas because they'd have to be constructed. That would take uh, years and years. Nothing will change in terms of what is currently being exported or what is currently under construction. This is just a pause so that we can have an assessment that is rationally based and then apply that assessment to those projects that are in the queue. Secretary Granholm, will the Department of Defense be involved in this at all? I only ask because one of the reasons we've been so um, pleased about this exporting of LNG is that we are able to come to the rescue of some of our allies in Europe. You think of Germany and what happened with Russia, them cutting them off from their natural gas. This is a huge thing that we can supply our allies with that natural gas. Who else gets a say on this? Yeah, and we will continue to do that. And we have uh, projects in the queue that are being constructed that will add to what we're already doing. National security is one of the considerations that we make in these assessments. So we will certainly consult with uh, our folks at the State Department, at the Department of Defense. It's really important that we stay strong with our allies. We also have to take a look. I mean, consider this. Our allies have also made commitments about reducing their dependence on natural gas. If we have authorized already enough to meet the world's demand just in the United States by 2050, which is uh, roughly what uh, old models have said, 
that the that the global demand by 2050 will be about uh, 52 billion uh, cubic feet. If that still stands, we will have we will have provided the entire world with enough LNG, not to mention all of the other folks that are coming online. It is important for us to consider why all these countries are saying that they want to uh, shift away from fossil fuels because, of course, of climate change. And, and so what? how do we uh, evaluate what countries have put into place uh, in terms of their own demand for natural gas? Is there going to be that level of demand for natural gas. Uh, we are also really, we, we've learned a lot about how to curb methane emissions. We've learned a lot about how to stop leaks at the wellhead and leaks in transportation. And we're recruiting other countries uh, to make sure that they commit to a global methane pledge of reducing. So we wanna take that into account as well. So we, it's very important for us to be close with our allies and ensure that they have the energy security that they need as well as we do. Madam Secretary, your, your comments are on, on our show, and I know we have a business audience, and I, I'm sure that you wouldn't cater your, uh, your comment, comments to that, but they're very measured and, and um, you know, you bring up a lot of reasons other than climate change for, for, for why you're doing this. But if you look at the way the president's selling it, uh, and he basically said, um, you know, that this is the, uh, an attempt to tackle the existential crisis of our time. And activists are hailing the decision uh, as a landmark crisis that shows that industries will no longer just get a blank okay to proceed with, with building oil and gas products. A powerful statement, we can no longer allow these industries to continue operating. And that harkens back to, to President Biden's campaign vow to put the fossil fuel business out of business. And, and he said that, he said, read my lips. We will put fossil fuels out of business. Uh, I, I did not hear him say that. I think the oh, president recognizes, we all do, that there YouTube. needs to be a managed transition, that fossil fuels are not going away in the immediate. That is why the focus that the U.S. has been such a leader in making sure but what, that what's your, how long do you think, Madam Secretary? Do you think, I mean, just give me an outside, do you think it's 50 years or do you think it's five years? Because if you're pausing now, it, it assumes that we're gonna be able to transition in like five or 10 years. There are people that say it's gonna be at least 50 years for the global economy to be able to operate. It can't operate without fossil fuels. You can't get fossil fuels without infrastructure. I am, we are working every day at the Department of Energy to reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions. And that means making sure we manage carbon emissions, we reduce carbon emissions, we have the technology associated with that, the oil and gas industry, many are, are stepping up to the plate in that. The, we, the reason why uh, people say that by 2050, we will get to net zero is because there is a recognition that there will need to still be, and this is not just me saying this, this is the science from the International Panel on Climate Change, that there will still be some use of fossil fuels, but can we manage right. the emissions? Can we eliminate the emissions? And that's really right. a very important strategy. Secretary, that the US I, 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 one final question, and, and it, it relates to EVs in a meaningful way, and it's about consumer demand and what we're seeing, which is there's been a big push, obviously, from government. And frankly, I think we thought from the marketplace uh, for, uh, for EVs and what that would ultimately do to the interests of oil and whatnot. 
However, there is clearly a slowdown taking place, and we're seeing it, by the way, Tesla stock is down, even as a result of this, that's probably been the most successful, uh, I think we can all agree, um, EV maker in the world, and yet it's getting harder even for them. And so the question is, what is that about? Is that an infrastructure problem? Is that a market problem? Are the products that the other automakers are making not good enough? And, well, and if that's the case, what do you have to do? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's several things. One is the price of uh, EVs has been higher. Now, Kelly Blue Book has just assessed that last year alone, the price of EVs dropped 23%. So they're now relatively on par with new internal combustion engines. So that price issue is continuing to move in the direction of the consumer. It's not quite there yet. The tax incentives, uh, and the state tax incentives combined make that even uh, more irresistible, but it's a confusing tax incentive market. The dealers have to take on a lot of educating of folks to be able to apply those tax incentives at the dealership. Um, people aren't aware that if you lease a vehicle, uh, the more restrictive tax incentives don't apply, and so you can really take advantage of, of that. And of course, it's an infrastructure issue. People do have range anxiety. It's why we have been so okay. focused on increasing the number of charging right. stations across the country. That We expect that we'll get to 500,000 charging stations across okay. the country by 2026. Secretary Granholm, appreciate it very, very much. Thank you very, very much for discussing this all with us. Up next on Squawk Pod, Dwayne Wade, NBA legend, author, movie producer, philanthropist, and still learning even more. We're business partners, but I'm learning so much from him. And so I look at him as like, okay, if I was in school, this would be a professor. Dwayne Wade's newest ventures and longest held philosophies right after this. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Up and Andrew, Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We are live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square on this Friday morning. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. You know him for his prowess on the basketball court, but our next guest is a successful businessman, an author, a movie producer, philanthropist, and much, much more. And now Dwayne Wade is adding podcaster to his resume. He teamed up with iHeart Podcasts about a week ago and launched The Why with Dwayne Wade. It's a weekly show featuring intimate conversations with pioneers in sports, fashion, music, and business. We are very pleased to have with us NBA legend, Hall of Famer, and three-time NBA champion Dwayne Wade. Dwayne, thanks for coming in. Thank you. Good morning. Nice Y'all get up like this every day. Like every this. day. We do. But you're trying to take our job, it sounds like. So, you know, <laughs> I see you got a whole round table, right? <laughs> yeah, I had a round table with, right. um, with, with Dirk and Tony and Powell. Um, that was my first podcast interview that I've ever done. And I got a chance to do it at the Hall of Fame with some of the greatest players ever. But a little later uh, in the day. A little, little later in the day, after doing a lot of media. So my brain was woke. Um, but uh, I appreciate it. You know, the podcast something is, 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 is something that a lot of people are getting into. 
Um, and I wanted to get into it as well at this time in my life. And it's really to, you know, talk about people wise. You know, I feel that uh, understanding and knowing your why in life is very important. And so the name of my podcast is The Why with Dwayne Wade. And uh, it actually has another double entendre is because my whole life people has mixed spelled my name. They've always put the A before the Y. It's the Y before the A. And so I wanted to make sure that I claim my why as well in my name. And so that's the go. Dwayne, the why with Dwayne Wade. Is it, is it because the curiosity factor? I mean, trying to figure out what makes people successful, what makes them the yes. greatest of all time? Yes, I've been playing basketball my entire life. And, you know, I went to school in the middle of playing basketball. Uh, my education, you know, probably is greater in, in the game of basketball than anything else. And so uh, my greatest tool and my greatest uh, schooling right now is other people's experience. Um, you know, my, one of my professors, I say right now in business school, his name is Ryan Smith. He's one of my professors because we're business partners, but I'm learning so much from him. And so I look at him as like, okay, if I was in school, this would be a professor that really has helped me and guided me. And so, yes, learning from others, learning from their experiences is how you get your, is how I gain my knowledge as well. There's a lot of people who learn from you too. I, I don't know if everyone realizes you went to Harvard and completed a, a program there on business and sports and entertainment. Yeah. And there's actually a case study on Dwayne Wade where everybody learns uh, through you. What, yeah. What's in that case study? Um, I believe that case study, uh, shout out to Harvard for um, the BIMS program that's ran by uh, one of the most amazing teachers, uh, Anita. Um, one of the case studies was dealing with um, one of my, I was with Stan's the Sox company. Uh, so I was dealing with that partnership and you know, did I do the right thing? Should I have, what should I have done? I think it also covered maybe my shoe deal at the time as well. Um, I signed a shoe deal, um, you know, with Lee Ning. I have my own brand. I think it dealt with that. So it was just a case study around my businesses. And it's been cool to go back in different right. years to sit in the classroom and hear what the students have to say, like what they would have done differently, what they would, what you what should have done. Um, that is everyone has have their own way into business and, and into thinking about, you know, how to structure deals and it's not all the same. What was the, what's so far, what's been the best deal you've made and what do you think has been the biggest mistake and the lesson of it? Um, the best deal I've made, well, in retirement and in life? Sure, in life, we'll take life. The best deal I've made um, is to, uh, when I was a kid, I, I talked to the big guy and I told him that who I was gonna be if, I, if my family ever got out of the, the crisis that we were in. That's the best deal I made with the big guy. And I'm trying to hold that to be true and all the things that my family stand for, um, all the things we do in the community. So that's the best deal I've made. Um, but in retirement, being able to have relationships with, like I said, with Ryan Smith, to be a part of the Utah Jazz, to be a part of Real Salt Lake and the Utah Royals and all these places, it's teaching me a lot about different industries and sports that I play, but not, maybe not know the other side. And so that's probably been one of the best things that I've done so far. Just on the worst deal you've ever made, we, we ask a lot of investors that all the time because I think a lot of time people learn more from their mistakes than yeah. from their successes. Yeah. What, what's, uh, what's a deal that maybe you learned something the hard way? I've been, I've been in court um, in my life. I've been sued um, in my life. So I've, done a, I've had a couple of failed restaurant ventures that has, that has, dealt in, has led me in court for lawsuits. Um, but really not doing my due diligence, really not having the right people around me to protect me um, from the, the vultures of, you know, of the world. And so I've done some bad deals. I've done some things that I've learned from um, that has landed me in court. So very, very bad. What, what, when was that deal that you made? Were you, were you in high school when you made the deal with, with the big guy to be? And, and was, it being, mm. was it about being a, a great basketball player or just by being a great 
personal, what was the deal that you yeah. made? What, what was it you wanted to be? No, I was, uh, my sister, um, my sister and I, when I was young, I was between five to eight years old. Uh, we shared a bed. Um, we lived in Chicago, Illinois. And every night she would ask, she would tell me to pray. And she would always tell me to ask God for what I wanted. It was always be direct. And in the midst of asking him for what I wanted, I wanted to get, help my family. I wanted to be the one to help my family get out of, uh, out of the community that we were in. And in the midst of that, I always talked about, what well, if, if you do this, big guy, these are the things that I'm going to do. And I've tried to hold those pillars true um, in the midst of, you know, going through life and learning life. Basketball, I mean, obviously helped you avoid a lot of the, your goals made a lot of the, the, the trouble kids get into. You, you can't do that if you're going to be a, yes. a, a, was it basketball or, or just success? Or how do we make, how do we repeat this again and again and again for kids? Well, I mean, basketball was my journey. And it's a great journey. Obviously, every kid won't have the same opportunity. That, yeah. You know, in, in the community that I come from, I think you talked about my production company. And right now we have, um, we, we have uh, Barbara of Little Rock, which we executive produce. Congratulations, it just got an Oscar nod. Thank this you. Is, yes, uh, I mean. I, the nomination I'm, for this is unbelievable. I, I, I so appreciate it. My company, the 59th and Prairie, we're just, we're just highlighting, we're just a part. But the story is where you can make change. And, you know, I think if you, if you follow that story, it's, it's about uh, it's following a, a young man named Arlo Washington. And he's about creating opportunities. He's about building community. And to build community, you have to build people. And to build people, you need capital. And so, you know, just understanding that in my community, it's not everyone can't make it to the NBA. But if we can do the, what Arlo Washington is doing, if we can build our community, if we can got a community provide capital. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's just so I just thought it was amazing. I mean, a man who's, who's, who's providing opportunities, sending individuals through barber school, also opening up a nonprofit loan fund to be able to build his community through people. Um, that's how we get to that change. How did you find him? He found me, let's say that. Um, the producers, Christine and John, um, you know, I think uh, people are understanding the ethos of 59th and Prairie and everything that we want to be a part of and accomplish. And so they reached out to us about the story. And it, it reminded me of growing up in Robbins, Illinois, where I grew up at. And it's the same act, just in a different place. And so I really wanted to highlight this injustice, um, you know, that's going on in our communities uh, when it comes to, you know, the wealth gap. Dwayne, I want to thank you so much for coming in. Um, we really appreciate it. It's how, really yeah. a how far is Marquette? How far is Marquette going? We're going all the way. What do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> you went to the Final Four, right? Yes, it's time for us to to do it again. To do it again. Okay. Thank you, Dwayne. That's the podcast for this week. Thank you for tuning in, and I'm glad we all made it. It's Friday. My blood pressure is already. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Orkin. You can catch them live for three hours straight on weekday mornings on CNBC starting at 6 a.m. Eastern. You can always get the highlights from that TV show right here on Squawk Pod as long as you follow us wherever you're listening now and turn on those downloads. We'll meet you right back here on Monday. Have a great weekend. We are clear. Thanks, guys. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey 
can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.